The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. It's Matt Slick Live. Matt is the founder and president of the Christian Apologetics Research Ministry, found online at karm.org. When you have questions about Bible doctrines, turn to Matt Slick Live for answers. Taking your calls and responding to your questions at 877-207-2276. Here's Matt Slick. Everyone, welcome to the show. Sorry about yesterday. I was, uh, un- well, unavailable, let's just say. Got a lot of stuff going on. And uh, today for the uh, podcasters is October 26th, 2022, a nice Wednesday. If you want, give me a call. All you got to do is dial 877 And I want to hear from you. All right, uh, we have four open lines. And uh, let's see, what do we got? So I got that going. Um, okay, so uh, no Bible study tomorrow night, and uh, things have been, I'll just say that, I, I could use some prayer, things have been extremely hectic the past uh, few days, and uh, I don't like to make a big deal of it, but my wife's health goes up and down, and uh, we could really use your prayer in that regard, so uh, if you just lift her up in prayer, that would be nice, and um, I really appreciate that. So, uh, whew, okay, hey, three open lines, 877 Two zero seven two two seven six. Uh, well, let's just jump on the phone. Let's get to Rudolph from Raleigh, North Carolina. Rudolph, welcome. You're on the air. Yes, sir. Um, when Jesus Christ returns to the earth, will the Holy Spirit still be here? Yes, because the Holy Spirit is, by definition, uh, ubiquitous. It's uh, part of the nature of the divinity of who God is. So that uh, that 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 person of God will eternally exist as the person of the Son of the Holy Spirit who is by nature uh, in the Trinity uh, which has the property of ubiquity or ever-presence so yes he will be here uh, as just as he's everywhere okay okay um, the only reason I ask that question is because when Jesus was on earth the first time the Holy Spirit was not down here. Oh, yes, the Holy Spirit was there. Uh, in, uh, I think it's Psalm 51, I think. No, 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 no. no. The Holy Spirit uh, came upon Christ at his baptism. So Our he was Lord. there. He was there. And I believe it's David in Psalm 51. I think it's Psalm 51. He says, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. So the Holy Spirit was there in the Old Testament time as well. Okay. Right. Okay. Yes, sir. Um, I just want to say one thing for the. I have. I understand why some of the way you think and why, because of the few things I've learned about Greek words and how you you learn a lot from Greek and I understand a little bit of the way the way you think. So I appreciate your what you do and what I've been learning. So thank you and God bless. You. You're welcome, and God bless Rudolph. Keep calling, buddy. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, if you want to give me a call, two open lines, 877-207-2276. Let's get to Jose from North Carolina. All right, there you go, Jose. You're on the air. Uh, hi, good afternoon, man. Good afternoon. All right, man, what do you got, buddy? Yeah. All right, so I... Uh, I walked into an Eastern Orthodox church, and uh, one of the things that they were talking about that 
that John the Baptist was the last prophet, very last prophet um, that there is. And um, I walked out of there, you know, scratching my head because uh, I thought that uh, there that prophecy would be uh, a gift of the Spirit imparted to at least someone else. But again, I don't know about these things, so I'm definitely okay. asking you. A prophet in the Old Testament sense is different than prophecy in the New Testament sense. So in Luke 16, 16, Uh, Jesus says the law and the prophets were until John. And he's talking about John the Baptist. Now the law and the prophets is a designation of the Old Testament. And it meant not just the writings, but it meant the whole aspect of God's prophetic work that was revealed in the law the first five books of the Bible, and through God's prophets that were then inscripturated and recognized as being inspired by the Jewish community. This was until John the Baptist. That's it. So since that time, the gospel of the kingdom was preached. In the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians 14, the idea of prophecy exists. Prophecy is... Uh, the act of speaking something uh, in advance, or sometimes people say it, it means to proclaim. But we have this prophecy that's practiced in the New Testament church. So Jesus said this in Luke sixteen sixteen. the law and the prophets were until John, and Paul said when there is, a, you know, someone comes in and prophesies, uh, then you judge that. So he was undoubtedly aware of what Jesus had said and was seeing no conflict at all. Okay, so when an Eastern Orthodox person says the the law and the prophets were until John, Luke sixteen sixteen, that's correct. If he means there's no Old Testament style prophets, then that's not a problem. If he says prophecy has ceased, then that's different, and he needs to establish that from Scripture. Ah, uh, okay, good. Because uh, again, I'm scratching my head about it, and. Uh, yeah, there's definitely there's a huge difference between a prophet and uh, and, and prophecy in and of itself that, that right. I follow. Right, because a prophet in the Old Testament was an individual who was called by God and equipped by God for the office of being a prophet. It doesn't exist in the New Testament economy. What does exist are charismatic gifts that are given to the body of Christ. So where the Old Testament had a representation of prophecy in the Old Testament economy, it's fulfilled in Christ in the New Testament as the Holy Spirit comes and works through the body of Christ. And so we have prophecy. But then people say, well, you you know, you're a prophet, you give prophecies. They're not a prophet in the sense of the Old Testament uh, covenantal system. Okay? For sure. <laughs> All right. Thank you for thank you for keeping it simple for me. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Amen. God bless. No problem, man. God bless. Okay. All right. That's what say from North Carolina. Uh, let's see. Two open lines. Eight seven seven two zero seven two two seven six. Ryan from Pennsylvania. Welcome. You're on the air. Uh, thank you, Matt. Um, and I want to thank you again for inviting me to call any time. My question today is about First uh, John, uh, chapter four, starting in verse seven. Beloved, let us love one another, for God, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. 
And thus the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that uh, we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent us Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we, met, we ought to love one another. And in 1 John 2, 2, he is propitiation for our sins, not only our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. So in the context of 1 John, what does propitiation mean and who is it extended to? Propitiation means a sacrifice that removes wrath. It does not mean that the wrath is potentially removed. It means it actually is removed. It comes from the Greek word helasmos, or the propitiation is hilasterion. So that's what it means. So in 1 John okay. 2, 2, he's a propitiation for, for the whole world. Well, the question then becomes, what does the word world mean? Because in the Jewish mind, the the uh, the Messiah was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, which is what Jesus says in Matthew that's 15. That's not true. Jesus said in that's Matthew 15. Because there were non-Jews a part of the covenant can in the Old I, Testament. Can I, can I finish what I was going to say? Because sure. I'm going to quote Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 15, 24, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's what Jesus said in right. Matthew 15, 24. So right. I conclude that Jesus was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, because that's what he said. Okay. Well, but uh, you do understand that Matthew wrote that, and John is a different writer, and he has a different context and a different meaning. So you're taking the meaning of uh, Matthew and you're imposing upon the writings of John. That is, I said, Jesus. No, that's called illegitimate totality transfer. It's not what I'm doing. I'm telling you that covenantally, Jesus was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In the Jewish mindset, they knew the Messiah was sent only to the nation of Israel. But when they broke the covenant requirements, then we the Gentiles were grafted in. That's why it says he was sent to the whole world, not just the Jewish people. Okay. okay, so does whole world mean just the elect? Well, it would mean all the nation groups, from what I understand the context of who he was sent to covenantally. So uh, the propitiation, the taking away of wrath, is that taking away of wrath of, uh, of all of humanity? Of course not. Otherwise, all of humanity would be saved and go to heaven. Well, according, then what does it mean when it says that, uh, not only our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world? The whole world means, in the context of the Jewish mindset, all the nation groups, not just the nation of Israel. So God propitiated for... But John is not although, writing to the Jewish mindset. Okay, I, but he, I'm telling you what he's, he's saying there, and what I understand it to be, the whole world, not just the Jewish people. He's informing the people he's writing to about that. Well, uh, Matt, in the Old Testament, there were people that were part of the covenant that were not Jewish, correct? Which covenant? The, the covenant of the Old Testament. The, um, there were certainly Ruth, and it was the Moabitess. There were certainly Egyptians that uh, became followers of God. There were um, uh, folks in Nineveh that also uh, repented, and certainly salvation was extended toward them. And so certainly there were Jews that were uh, part of the covenant of the Old Testament. Uh, so why would it be restricted to the uh, uh, re referring to uh, just Jews in the New Testament? What I would say at this point is that you need to study the different aspects of the covenant revelations that are in the Old Testament because there's different covenants. There's a covenant with Abraham, which is ratified in the uh, circumcision, which is the shedding of blood. And that covenant was the Abra called the Abrahamic covenant, where God would bless all the nations in Abraham. And it's prophesied in Genesis 12.3 and quoted by Paul in Galatians 3.8 as being the gospel.
So we know that that is something that includes all the people groups. However, there's a narrower cover, covenant, another covenant, where the Messiah would be coming only through the nation of Israel. And the covenant aspects and requirements are reiterated through the broader covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, down through David and certain lines at certain times. And then when the covenant uh, boundaries were broken by the nation of Israel, then the, prof the prophecy of Genesis 12.3, and you all the nations shall be blessed, was then enacted or fulfilled because the sub-covenant of the covenant with, with uh, Israel proper was broken by Israel, and that's how come the broader covenant was uh, in effect. So you can't mix the covenants, okay? you got to study covenant theology. Well, does, does, uh, does God have a covenant with all of creation? Yes, the Adamic covenant. Since Adam represented all people, first uh, well, Romans 5.18 and 1 Corinthians 15.22, so all people are obligated to follow God and serve God and exercise the dominion mandate under the sovereignty of God in Adam. Adam broke his covenant promise with God, his agreement, and so uh, we then suffered the consequences of our federal head, but we're still under the covenant, believers and unbelievers, in the Adamic sense. But new covenants would come in and would be narrowing their focus throughout history to bring about the arrival of the Messiah. When Jesus came, he was then sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, Matthew 15, 24. That's covenant language. When the nation of Israel broke the covenant, then we, the Gentiles, were grafted in. And Paul talks about this, the natural branches versus the unnatural branches, the natural branches being the Jews, well, and they were gra we were grafted in. There's a break. So the okay. covenant language of uh, uh, so the covenant language of Matthew. Okay. We're gonna go. Yeah. There's yeah. You can study covenant theology. Okay. You need to study that. That's where the answer is. Hey folks, one open line eight seven seven two zero seven two two seven six. We'll be right back. It's Matt Slick Live, taking your calls at 877-207-2276. Here's Matt Slick. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. One open line, if you want to give me a call, 877-207-2276. Let's get to Jason from Scotts, Scottsville, Arizona, I guess. Yep, Scott, uh, welcome. You're on the air. Hey, Matt. Hey. Hi, um... My biggest challenge calling you is narrowing down to just one question. <laughs> but uh, that's okay. <laughs> I want to ask like three hundred, but I'll have to be patient. Um, right. Today, can you just give me your exegesis on Romans eleven twenty two? Um, thank you. Behold the kindness and severity of God to those who fell. Severity, but to God's kindness, to you, God's kindness. If you continue in His kindness, otherwise, you'll also be cut off. Okay. Whoops. I'm going to turn my phone down. My own bad here. I'm going to do that during the break. I mean, during the uh, show. Come on. There we go. Um, so, uh, are, which focus do you want to get on? Uh, the issue of eternal security? Is that it? Or the issue of God's well, kindness as it relates covenantally? Whatever you feel, I, sh I mean, I, I'm, it's a confusing passage to me because we're okay. we're saved by grace, so he can't be talking about losing salvation, right? I mean, but yes. whatever you tell me, I'm open. Well, it is a difficult passage uh, because it's not exactly clear. Um, kindness and severity to those who fell, severity. In the Old Testament, people broke God's covenant as well in, in and out. I mean, they, they you know did various things. And God's kindness, if you continue in his kindness. 
So you're going to have his kindness if you continue in it. But if you don't, you'll be cut off. Cut off is covenant language. Now this is something that is extremely important. In fact, I'm just make a little side note. Because this is coming up more and more, this issue of covenant, one of the things I've entertained the idea of doing is simply starting in Genesis, doing word searches on covenant, barith, and uh, going through and doing research on the kinds of covenants that are ratified in the Old Testament with the covenant boundaries. Now, what I mean by that is, for example, a marriage covenant is till death do you part. Uh, that's one of the boundaries. Another one is uh, to keep yourself to her or to him and no one else. That's another boundary. So covenant boundaries are the sets of the requirements in the covenant, and they can be broken uh, depending on the nature of the covenant. Or there's also covenants that are eternal, like the Trinitarian covenant is an eternal covenant which can't be broken because it can't be broken because God doesn't break it. So anyway, I'm, that's a side note, that I'm interested in studying this because I've noticed that things like this are related to that, to be cut off, the natural branches and the unnatural branches. The natural branches are the Jews who were in the covenant, and the unnatural branches are the Gentiles who can be put in the covenant. Now what gets interesting is there's the Adamic covenant, which is everybody, there's the Abrahamic covenant, which is everybody, the Davidic covenant, which is not everybody. And then there's some other ones related inside and in between. So theologians debate, oh, there's one covenant, two, three, five, twenty. How many are there? How many sub-covenants and what categories do they fall under? Generally, most people go with two main covenants and uh, go with uh, sub-covenants. At any rate, so if he's saying you'd be cut off, is he saying you're being cut off from the covenant? Or is he being saying you're being cut off from salvation? Now, if people say it's from salvation, then they would have to say that you keep your salvation by keeping yourself in the covenant. And that's salvation by works. And that contradicts scripture clearly. So that would be a problematic uh, understanding of it. If we understand covenant to mean a set of rules that we are to enter into, for example, now this is just my opinion, just my opinion, and if people don't agree, that's okay. But I believe in infant baptism as a covenant sign, not as a sign that saves. I believe it replaces circumcision, and that in that Abrahamic covenant where children were included in the covenant aspect, it didn't mean they were saved. It was just, it was, uh, boy, I thought I'd turn that down. Uh, it was, uh, hold on one second. Let me turn this down right here. Sorry. I did turn it down. It didn't. It, okay, now I turned everything down. Sorry. So in the Abrahamic covenant, um, the children were included in the covenant, but it doesn't mean they were saved, and they could grow up and break the covenant and leave it. But they were still ultimately in God's plan and work. It doesn't mean they wouldn't be saved. So this is why I'm saying it's a toughie. It's not a toughie because I don't like what it says against my theology. If that's not it. It's a toughie because what's he saying? Is he talking covenantally? He seems to be. Because he goes on to say, and they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. In who? Is he talking about the Jews or the Gentiles here? And that's another question to discuss. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree, and were grafted in contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will those who are the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? It's like, what is he saying? 
it appears that what he's talking about is the Jews who are the natural branches to the olive tree. And the olive tree represents basically Israel. And that people can be in and out of the covenant inside of that covenant relationship with Israel. And so people can break the covenant of God and still be under the favor of God, but not necessarily in the aspect of, of specific covenants that they were breaking. But they could be under generically the Abrahamic covenant. This is why it just gets so complicated. This is why I'm thinking about just doing a major study on this. But he goes on, I do not want you, brethren, to be un uninformed that uh, you will so that you not be wise in your own uh, estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. So all of Israel will be saved, just as it's written. He delivers Israel, etc. So it looks like, in, in my opinion, that what Paul is doing, I think what he's doing, this is what I think, is that he is speaking to the Jews in Rome who understood a lot of stuff because in Romans 2.17 he says if you being a Jew so he's talking to the Jews and I think what he's talking about is the relationship that is there of national and natural Israel in the natural covenant that God has given to them it's a natural thing they're the natural branches to the covenant of God but they can be broken off through their disobedience just like you can Gentiles because he does speak to the Gentiles also and so I, th and I think what's going on is that the Jews and the Gentiles in the Roman church were arguing back and forth about who is the true Jew and all this stuff, the true Christian, and Paul is writing to put a stop to a lot of the bickering that might have been going on. And we're the real Jews. No, we are. We're circumcised. You're not circumcised. No, that's not what real Judaism is. And then they go to Romans 2, you know, the last two verses of Romans 2 to talk about that. So what I think he's doing is alluding to the idea of the covenant nature that belongs to Israel and that we the Gentiles could be grafted in because we are in a sense true Israel who keep in the covenant and therefore can be counted in but don't be so uppity in your own understanding as you complain about the Jews because you can be taken out of the covenant it's not saying that you're going to lose your salvation but you can be disciplined by failing to keep the covenant requirements and stuff, stuff like that. You see how complicated this can get me? Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. It, it um, what you know, I know the Arminians love that passage as a proof text to their losing salvation, but that would contradict everything Paul wrote. Right. So, well, we got a break. Uh, Jason, hold on, because uh, okay, I want to talk okay. about this a little bit more. Hey, folks, one open line eight seven seven two zero seven two two seven six. We'll be right back. It's Matt Slick Live, taking your calls at 877-207-2276. Here's Matt Slick. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. Two open lines if you want to give me a call, 877-207-2276. Let's get to Jason. Jason, you still there? Yeah, hi, Matt. I was just saying, uh, I think a lot of people try to use that as a proof text to prove losing salvation, and I was telling someone... That would uproot everything Paul taught. There's no way that that can be the interpretation when literally I can pull 75 passages where Paul says the exact right. opposite. So, um, go ahead. Ask him this. What is it exactly in the verse that says we can lose our salvation? And they can only go to... Cut off. It'll be, 
cut off. And they say, show me where cut off means you lose your salvation. Show it to me. Where does it mean yeah, cut sir. off means you're going to hell? Because if it's covenant theology, it doesn't necessitate that. And then I take him to John six thirty-seven through 40, and it says, the will of the Father is that Jesus lose none. And I ask him, can Jesus lose any? Very quick and slick. Well, you see, they could lose themselves, but Jesus didn't lose them. You know, they do this, uh, you know, this uh, incoherent thing. So, plus, plus, as Christians, we're um, you know we're part of the body of Christ. We're we're one spirit with the Lord. First Corinthians six seventeen, right? So, if we're His children, we're regenerated. Why would He lop us off because we we, we fail to be good at something? Like, you know, maybe you're exactly. not as good as you like. You know, continuing in His goodness. I mean, if that means you got to have faith plus works, who's going to stand in the end? I mean, who's going to survive that? I mean, so. Right. Well, you know, one of the things I will do also when people say they can lose their salvation, I say, okay, all right, you can lose it, your perspective. i got my hands on my my, uh, my keypad, my keyboard here. Would you please list out for me, you know, say three or three things, I don't know, three that you have to do to keep yourself right with the infinitely holy God. Please tell me. i got my fingers ready. Give me one. And, and uh, you know, they're going to say, well, be faithful. Don't, don't do what? What do you not have to do and what do you have to do? Because I'm reminded at that point of the parable that Jesus gave in Luke, 6, uh, Luke 18, 9 through 14. The Pharisee and the Tashkander went up. And uh, the, tax, the Pharisee was boasting, look, I don't do these bad things and I do these good things. So he's talking about how he's right. And I'm going to ask the people who say they can lose their salvation, then what do you have to do to keep it? What do you have to do? Because the Pharisee, Jesus condemned. And this is in Luke 18. And he says, he said, the Pharisee said, I, I don't swindle. He's not stealing. He's not unjust. He's not an adulterer. He's not a swindler like the tax collector. He pays tithes. He fasts. So surely wouldn't he be saved? I mean, he believes in God. There he is. He, he's doing the right things and not doing the bad things. I mean, would you? I'd say to them, would you agree that he, he's he's a good guy? Yeah. Okay. Then why does Jesus condemn him? Right. Because he's appealing to salvation and is standing before God on his faith and and what he does. So they are at risk of believing a false gospel, and you need to evangelize them and say, listen, we need to talk about the true gospel. It's not based on your ability based on Christ's ability. Well, you've got to remain faithful. And I say, you know what? Let me ask you a question. Do you take credit for your own believing? And I've had him say, well, of course I do. I, I'm the one who chose to believe. Wow, pat yourself on the back. Philippians 1.29, to you it has been granted not only to believe, but also to suffer. So it's been granted to you. And the, grant, the has been granted in Greek is the aorist passive indicative. It's a grammar analysis thing we do. And aorist means past tense. And uh, passive means you receive the action. And indicative means it's a fact. It's an actuality, reality. It's a past tense action that you receive that's already been done. To you it has been granted to believe. So God has granted to you the act of believing. Yet you do the believing, but God granted it to you. Do you take credit for it? No. 
No. You do the believing, but God has one who's granted that you do that. Well, I don't believe in that. Well, then just deny Romans uh, or Philippians 1.29. And it's not like some people say, they reword the text and make it fit with their theology. Is No, he grants you the opportunity to believe. It's It's a load of crud. And then I say to them, furthermore, the faith that God grants you and that faith is in Jesus because Jesus says the work of the Father is that you believe on him whom he has sent. John 6.29. So I say, is the faith that God grants to you that is in Christ, is that sufficient enough to save you? Yes. Okay, do you take credit for that? And if they say yes, they got a problem. If they say no, they're on the right track. Good. Are you, are you to continue in belief? Yes. Is that your doing? Now, that's the uh, a debatable question. People can say, well, I'm going to stop believing. So you, can you? Because First John 2.19 says they went out from us because they never were of us. If they had been of us, they would have remained. So, okay. Thank you very much. Okay. Hope that helps. Have a good one. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, man. God bless. All right. All right, all right, all right. We have three open lines. Why don't you give me a call? 877 877- Two zero seven two two seven six. Demetrius from Virginia, welcome. You're on the air. Hey, thanks, man. How you doing tonight? Oh, doing all right. Just uh, multitasking, typing, talking, and putting notes in all at the same time while I'm answering your questions. Hopefully. Yes, I was, I was actually doing. I was looking for something in my pantry, and I, I missed the last question. Um, but um, it was it was interesting because I was just doing a study this morning, and I saw that being cut off is kind of a form of a can be a form of a, of a church discipline not necessarily yes. a salvation thing but you know a little leaven you know causes the whole lump to rise so you know first corinthians 5 paul was telling the church to you know there's sexual morality get rid of them because they're making the bible look bad i don't know if that was a <laughs> the content of the last question um yeah, but that's but, interesting, however uh, my question no no that's yeah. interesting because i hadn't thought about it in that that position i don't we were talking about romans 11 uh, 22 uh, if you continue his okay. kindness otherwise you'll be cut off and um, cut off from church fellowship that I never thought of it that way so you got me kind of curious um, uh, I'm going to think about that I don't think that's going to float very far down the river but but it's a, it's a good thought maybe it will I'll just, <laughs> uh, you know the hair's cut off and you be yeah. you know uh, and stuff like that and uh, cut off your get me get me thinking about it. So good, I like that. Good stuff. <laughs> yeah, get something to do tonight. Yeah. Um, but my question, uh, Matthew nineteen nine, kind of doing a study myself on um, uh, nineteen nine. Whoever uh, divorces his wife except for sexual immorality. So that that part of the context there, um, you know, I, I had a question on. That. I know in the Greek is uh, planeo. And I wanted to know what was, you know, what's what's included in that. Not, not, and I don't want to look at it from a legalistic standpoint, but like, what is considered sexual immorality? Okay, all right. So I've done a lot of marriage counseling over the years to couples, sure. and in this topic, there are. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, before I say, I'm going to speak generically. All right, because we're on radio. And when I speak specifically, it's in private. But um, generically, there's two forms of porneia, thought and deed. So okay. none of us, uh, I would I will venture to say none of us men 
are perfect in our thoughts, even in marriage. And right. Jesus says, if you even look on a woman to lust, well, have I ever done that since I've been married? Most probably. I mean, I'm not going to boast, oh, yeah, you know, hope my wife's not listening. But, I mean, I'm a human being, and I've seen women, and et cetera, et cetera, and I'm sure it's probably happened. I, at least I don't focus on it. I don't dwell on it. And if I did, you know, I repent, you know. But I'm just saying, does that mean, then, that I've com- actually committed adultery? And the answer is no. Now, there's a sense of moral perfection that I must adhere to. So whenever any temptation in thought comes along, I give it to the Lord. Now, I've never committed physical adultery and never will. It's never going to happen because I love my Lord and I've made a commitment to my wife. And that's just how it is. So when the Bible talks about uh, Gen- uh, Matthew 19.9, Jesus says, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality, he, the context is physical adultery. So right. in physical adultery, then that's why I say to people, if you're, if you're married, your wife commits adultery, physical adultery, you have the right to divorce, but not the obligation to divorce. If you divorce, right. that, 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 you can do it, but you don't have to. It depends on you and her and, and the Lord. So that seems to be what's going on, and this is based in the issue, I forgot where, where God issued a writ of divorce to Israel for their spiritual mm-hmm. adultery, which was their idolatry, going after other gods. So he says, I issue a right. writ of divorce. So that's how that's equated, okay? Yeah. So so when I look at um, Hebrews 13.4, I also mm-hmm. talk about marriage. It should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept undefiled, for God will judge the sexual immoral and the adulterers. Mm-hmm. So are we, are we looking at... Um, Hold on, we got a break. Because you're going to ask a good question. Yeah. That needs to be after the break, okay? Because it's good stuff. All right, man. Hold on, buddy. Hey, folks, we'll be right back after these messages. Three open lines. If you want to give me a call, 877-207-2276. We'll be right back. It's Matt Slick Live. Taking your calls at 877-207-2276. Here's Matt Slick. Okay, everybody, welcome back to the show. Three open lines, 877-207-2276. Okay, so Demetrius, uh, you still there? Yes, sir. Yep. Okay. All right, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, so uh, Hebrews 13, 4, marriage should be kept, should be honored by all in the marriage bed, kept undefiled, for God will judge the sexual, immoral, and adulterous. Mm -hmm. So in this particular passage, you know, there's a distinction between the two. Um, so I'm I'm assuming this extends beyond the the act of Pornea, but it must incorporate something else. Okay, so let's let's take a look. So in Matthew nineteen nine, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality, the word is porneo, and marries another commits adultery. That's the word moikati, and that's the word mm-hmm. for adultery specifically means adultery. So pornography or porneo includes ultimately adultery fornication various things i don't want to mention too much because there might be children in the car but you get my drift some of these are pretty bad and a lot of these are just rampant today and people are participating in all kinds of sin i'll just leave it there okay hold on i had to cough 
All right, so Jesus distinguishes the issue of, uh, you know, except for uh, sexual immorality. Well, you know, if you, you divorce based on this, then you, but it's not for that reason, which is in the scope or the under the umbrella of generic sexual immorality, fornication, adultery, other things. Uh, it commits adultery. You know, bestiality could be in, uh, uh, under immorality there, sexual immorality. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and there's probably a few other issues we could put under that umbrella. And so, it, unless it's one of those, sorry, you're committing adultery. So, in Matthew 13, 4, in the covenant aspect of uh, Matthew 13, 4, Hebrews 13, 4, he's speaking of the Hebrews. Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For and his marriage bed is talking about the physical. Mm-hmm. For fornicators and, and adulterers, God will judge. All the sexual immoral and those adulterers too. Now, what's interesting is that the the Hebrew way of talking. Well, wait a minute. Why did you say all this sexually immoral? Why, why say fornicators and adulterers? It's like when uh, Jesus uh, talked about uh, the sinners and the tax gatherers. Well, tax gatherers were sinners, so there was a subgroup of a broader group that was focused on. And this is what's going on here. The broad group, the sexually immoral, and the adulterers. Now, the NASB translates it as fornicators, and we know what that is. And so mm-hmm. uh, the ESV just says sexually immoral, which I think is a little bit more insightful and helpful here than just fornication. But I think fornication works, right. but nevertheless. So I would say in the context of those, that's why the distinguishing is going on, because it's uh, one of the things Jewish way of talking. You know, the sinners and the tax gatherers, and the sexually immoral and the adulterers. So he's talking generically and then specifically. And the, usually the specifics have to do with a certain audience that has a certain thing in mind, and he's bringing it out and addressing it. Okay? So so it sounds like there may be some acts that may be considered sexually immoral, but not exactly adultery. But right. those will both be judged. Right. So a married man who has sexual relations with a woman he's not married to, that's adultery. A non-married man who does the same thing with a, another woman, it's called fornication because it's outside of the boundary of marriage. And then bestiality is a, either one, in my opinion, inside the marriage, it's a divorceable offense because it's a definite sexual immorality, as would be other things. I don't. I just. I want to say them, but just, you know, we can get them, get them out. But I know there's kids in cars and stuff like that. And I just want to be nice, you know, and and let mom and dad know. Maybe we turn this down for a little bit, you know. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm not like no, the they, they, the left who wants to groom the children. I don't believe in that. Yeah, I'm glad you said it first because I was definitely thinking in my mind. I had to remember I'm not just on the phone. There's actually other people listening too. So that's right. Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> I appreciate as, it, man. Good. And as men, we are obligated as Christian men to guard people, to help people, yeah. and. um like today, this is a small thing, but I went, was shopping and uh, I got some cat food. It, it was at Costco, and th- just five feet from me is a woman muscling a fifty-pound bag of, of uh, you know, of, of dog food. And I go, hey, man, can I help you, please? You know, and and uh, I'm six feet tall, two hundred twenty pounds. You know, just pick it up, move it, done. And you know, it what a pleasure it is. 
in my manhood to be able to assist and to help. That's one of just one of the ways we as men need to help, but we also need to guard. We can guard physically, but we can also guard verbally, emotionally, mentally. And this is what we're obligated to do as men. And I like to talk about this to men a lot because they need to, some men need to slap upside the head. Not me. I've got it all down and I'm fine. But others, you know, they're the ones who. Right. Yeah. Mm hmm. All right, brother. Yep. That helps. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right. Good good stuff. God bless. All right. Four open lines. Why don't you give me a call? 877-207-2276. Mike from Winston-Salem. Sorry for making you wait 40 minutes, but here we go. You're in, man. That's okay, Matt. You're worth waiting for. Um, Oh, tell my wife that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, uh, You had a previous caller, and you answered their question, and that triggered a thought that I had in the back of my mind. Is there a difference between the gospel and the gospel of the kingdom? Wow. Or is it both those things the same thing? I want to say yes and no. And I also want to add, I'm not sure. So um, I, I... I've done a study on that. I did it a while back. Let me see if I can, if I did release an article, Gospel of the Kingdom. Gosh, he spelled it right here. Let's see if I have. I did write it up and read my paragraph. And I, what is the Gospel? Gospel of the Kingdom. The Kingdom of Heaven, the Kingdom of God. So you know what? I don't know how to answer you because I'm not exactly sure what it means. So if we were to Matthew and I would type in gospel of well, the kingdom well, gospel of the kingdom, that's right. Because I'll just do this little we'll have a little fun right here and I'll show you something. It it's it, the first occurrence uh, is in Matthew four twenty three, where Jesus was going throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Well, wait a minute. It can't be the gospel of death, bell, resurrection of Jesus because that is in First Corinthians 15, uh, 1 through 5. So what is the gospel? The gospel is the word euangelia in Greek, the good news. So he's what's he teaching? I'd like to have had a transcript of what it is that Jesus was saying. That would have been fascinating. So it occurs also in uh, Matthew nine thirty-five. We've got nobody waiting, so we can do this, okay? And it says, uh, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. This is Matthew 9. In Matthew 24, the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now that seems to be the gospel of the kingdom is the, the gospel of evangelism. And so it right. looks like the gospel of the kingdom and the, go- the gospel are the same thing. However, it appears that before Christ was crucified, the gospel of the kingdom contained enough information that it would include enough well, enough information such that people, by believing it, would be justified. Was it something that Jesus says, look, I'm going to be crucified on a cross, three days later rise from the dead? Now, if that's the case, the Jews knew that, they might have tried to thwart that prophecy by not having him killed or do something else. Who knows? So it doesn't tell us pre-cross what it is but in the pre-cross event Jesus prophesies the gospel that came will be preached in the whole world talking about the end times so he's looking ahead 
So this is why I say I'm not exactly sure how to answer it because it's a toughie. And uh, look at this. And this is Luke 16, 16, which I mentioned earlier today. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the gospel of the kingdom of God has been preached. And everyone is forcing his way into it. Now that is interesting. How are they forcing their way into the gospel of the kingdom of God? What does that mean? I think what it's talking about is people who are trying to have gain popularity and acceptance based on them preaching something they didn't necessarily believe in. You know, like the uh, uh, the demon, uh, the guy who was simony, the, guy, uh, the gospel that, um, that uh, Paul preaches, and uh, he didn't believe it, and then the demons came out and, uh, and beat the guy up. Let's see if it occurs. And that, those are the times it occurs. Is those just in Matthew and in Luke. So, you see, I'm not exactly sure how to answer it. Mm. Well, I'm going to spend more time studying it because when I get on, some, you know, when something like that starts starts me thinking, you know, I, I try to dig until I get an answer, or try to get something, and it has to be biblical. It, it, it has to agree with the Bible. Um, Good for you. So, well, I have to sit there and struggle with it, I guess. <laughs> exactly. Now, let me tell you, that is not a bad thing. It's a very good thing. There have been many times in my studies where, let's just say, an issue like this, where I've spent two days studying it and can't come up with an exact, what I think is very pristine, very clear answer because there's some ambiguity in some things. And so I'll say, I've said to my wife, I spent two days studying this issue. I don't have a great answer to the question, but boy, I learned three other things. So it's always profitable. And um, and sometimes it's just we're too stupid to get it, not spiritual enough to get it, or God did not want us to get everything. And right. and it's okay to say, like I do in the radio, I don't know. Good question. I've been studying that one. And if you come up with something and you learn something, call me up and go, hey, man, we talked about this. I go, oh, yeah, I think I remember you. And then tell me what you learned. You know, I'm always open to being taught. Yeah. No, we all should be. We all should be. Let's see. Gospel of the Kingdom. I'm going to look it up. we got nobody waiting. I'm going to look it up. That doesn't occur in my topical guide. Because what I like to do is see how the phrase occurs in... um, not there either. I'm going to do it here. Now let's see. Search. I can search everywhere. I have a, a lot of Bible stuff. And um, I like to look and do searches on phrases and or words just to see how they, if they uh, come up. And the, the phrase, Gospel of the Kingdom, is not showing up in any of my things, I'm, I'm, my tools I have. Let's see. Gospel of the Kingdom. Maybe it's just gospel, and then the subcategory of, of the kingdom. But this is the kind of thing I do, and I love it. I always learn. So that's a good question. You need to study it, and then you could you call me up and tell me what you learned. Okay. Okay. We'll do. All yeah, right. Thanks, man. All right, man. God bless, buddy. All right. Yeah. Oops. Sorry, I uh, cut him off there. Sorry about that. All right. Nobody waiting right now. We have. Uh, 10 seconds left in the show and I thank you for uh, listening and by God's grace we'll be back on here tomorrow and hopefully we'll talk to you then I hope you have a great evening everybody Uh, God bless, talk to you later
another program powered by the Truth Network.